All right. Well, as we just prayed for in the Ukraine, the battle marches on. You know, Putin doesn't show any signs of stopping. It appears he's going to want to take over the whole country. And at the same time, spiritual warfare rages on here in the background. It hasn't stopped either. Right? It's raging on. Our, our enemy shows no signs of stopping either. He's in this ageless war with our Father in heaven, and he attacks him by attacking us. Curious, after last week's sermon, did you happen to notice any spiritual warfare going on around you? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I, I did. I, we continue to have a friend who is plagued with alcoholism and Satan just plays with his mind so much, and, and as he's coming out of recovery and things seem to be going okay, he's tempted, he's drawn back into that lifestyle. It's definitely, I see that as a supernatural attack on him. And on the world stage, as we mentioned, we can just see movement after movement, headline after headline that's anti-God, that's anti-Christ, that's anti-truth. So yes, it's, it's raging, as we noted last week, around us. But we must stand firm against these attacks. You know, Christ has already won. He's the victor. Satan has lost, and he knows it. So his goal is to drag as many people down with him as possible. But he can't paralyze us either. Because greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. Amen. But yet we have to realize and recognize that he is strong and formidable. So... Paul tells us in our text today how we can protect ourselves against these attacks. And they're not really new, revolutionary ideas. You know, these are kind of like the fundamentals. Kind of like blocking and tackling if you're on a football team. Fundamental stuff that we're going to go through today. But they're super duper important. And Paul uses the analogy of the armor of, uh, of, a, of a soldier to help display these truths to us. So we're going to jump right into the armor of God this morning pretty quick because we have six pieces to talk about and we have a fairly limited amount of time to do so. So let's get going. The first one is the belt of truth. <clears throat> we read in Ephesians 6.14a, Stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth. Now Paul starts here in his list of what should come first. We need to re realize that this is a logical order that Paul is going to convey to us. It's not some random listing pieces of armor. He's got a thought behind it and, and, a, and, a, and a sequence. And I'm sure, as they were back then, I'm sure belts are still in fashion today. They have to be. I'm not quite for sure. I'm not a, probably the last guy to ask about that. But here's a guy who definitely needed a belt. Ugh. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad that didn't happen to me at Olivia's wedding, for sure. He needed a belt. Belts are important today, as they were what's true for a Roman soldier. They would gather their outer robe, and they would, they would gird their loins when they had a long robe into their belt. And when they girded their loins into their belt, that was a symbol that they were ready to fight. Because now they could move around a little bit more, and they were ready for What's in front of them? The question is, is this belt of truth, what's the spiritual meaning for us? Well, we too need to be ready for our fight. And we need to be grounded in truth. And the truth is really has to do with our worldview. Like how you see things as we look at the news. How you're interpreting things around you. Everything. The, how you view the world. And for a Christian, that viewpoint is the word of God. It's the truth of God. We're anchored in the reality of truth. Even when... Everyone else around us, they attempt to now define truth for themselves. That's the 
thing going on they teach in college and everything else right now, relative truth. What's true for Abby might not be true for me and might not be true for you, but it's her truth because it's based on her experiences, her viewpoint, her feelings, her wants and desires. So that's her truth. Well, you start thinking like that, and you're going to be like that father of the bride, right? That's not being grounded in truth. That's not having the belt of truth. The truth is the word of God, and that's how we must view things. And this is where Satan will attack, because he showed us that's his main game plan way back in the garden in in Genesis 3, one of his very first schemes. We read this in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 1. Now the serpent, that of course, if you weren't here last week, and you probably know this, but just in case, you know, that's the devil, that's the, the fallen angel, the created being of God who rebelled against God and God cast him out of heaven. Now his goal is to, to bring us all down with him. The serpent was the more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God really said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? There it is. Has God really said? However you want to put the emphasis there. Has God really said? Has God really said? That's what he wants to do. He wants to attack the truth. The very first two humans on the planet. And he's already attacking the truth of God. Scheme number one, right? And boy, do we see that going on in the world today. My goodness, look around. And there's an attack on truth. There's an attack on the validity, the the, the, the trustfulness of the word of God. So securing ourselves in truth then, this belt, the very first piece is essential, right? If we're going to defend ourselves against attacks like this. And remember, it's not about how you feel about something, how you think it should be. We need to go to see what God says on the matter. His word is final. He's the author. Tina shared with me this week uh, something she saw on TikTok, Right, And it's this girl who uses scripture, quotes a lot of scripture, and even tries to go historically this meant this and historically this meant that. And the conclusion was she was using scripture to support a homosexual lifestyle. That God is okay with that lifestyle. And she had 93,000 likes. That's 93,000 people are getting their truth from that. You know, we, we need to be careful if we feel like our kids have to have TikTok on their phone, then we need to also supplement that with a, a, a grounding in the word of God and the real truth because that's where we get truth from his word. And that's why we're committed in this church to teaching and preaching right from the word. So our very first piece of armor that we put on is the belt of truth. And let's move on to the second piece that Paul gives us an image of, the breastplate of righteousness. You know, for the Roman soldier... And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, Paul concluded, verse 14. So for a Roman soldier to not put on this breastplate and go into battle was very careless. You can see here, quite a big, a lot of protection comes from that breastplate. Not putting it on, but almost be suicidal thoughts in a way. Because it protects the most vital part of your body, what? It protects your heart. It protects your heart. And that's exactly what the breastplate of righteousness does for us it's Jesus it's his righteousness and he covers our heart right and matter of fact Jesus righteousness when we accept it and apply it to our lives it changes our heart from one of stone to one of flesh because all of us can think back I think and we can realize that at different points in our lives we've had hearts of stone towards God or at least part of our hearts 
something we didn't want to give up to God was stone and cold to God. You know, I, I, I want to, haven't yet, but prison, in, prison ministries always have intrigued me. And I want to figure out a way where I can serve in that capacity at some point in my life. Right? But they've always interested me because here we have criminals who at one point in their life, were, were, their hearts were just cold, very cold. They didn't want anything to do with God. And they committed murders and whatever, robberies and everything else. They just had no respect for God. But somehow a ministry in prison touches them and God pursues them and God chases them down and God changes them, right? God gives this cold criminal a heart that was once stone, a heart of flesh, and he's saved through the blood of Jesus. The righteousness of Christ, this breastplate of righteousness, can cover the sin of murder and it can cover the sin of gossip alike. The truth is no matter what the sin is, the righteousness of Christ can cover it. So this is the breastplate that we put on that changes our heart as well as we're getting prepared now. This is defensive stuff. We're getting prepared for these attacks. And it's, it's because you've accepted by faith what God has done through Jesus. And what that does when you accept by faith what God has done through Jesus, it gives you a righteous standing before God. Hebrews says we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence How can we do that? How can we boldly approach God? It's because our standing before him is righteous. It's our righteous standing now before God based on the gospel applied to us, that we've been forgiven. We're righteous through the blood of the lamb. We're defended now against the devil's accusations. And then with our righteous standing, then we stand righteous because track this concept with me real quick. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul writes all about in Ephesians about this righteous standing. He makes it very clear that that we are chosen, that we're made righteous, that we're adopted, that we're called out, that by grace we're saved, that we were disobedient children of wrath, and now we're set free. This is chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians. Christ now gives us this new heart, and he protects it, right? Chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians, he's saying, now, because you're saved, go and live like it. Live like Jesus. Turn your heart to God and live like it. So, what this kind of, the best example I can have of this is the woman caught in adultery. Right? We all know that story. The woman was caught in adultery. And as Christ told her accusers to those who without sin may cast the first stone and the stones start to drop, the, the key to the story is really what he tells the woman at the very end. What does he tell her? Do you remember Yes. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. There's no condemnation. Neither do I condemn you. You now have this righteous standing. Now go and sin no more. Stand righteous. Now go and stand righteous. So this is what this breastplate of righteousness does for us as as it protects us, as it defends us against the enemy's attack. The next piece, pretty fundamental. And having strapped on your feet, the preparation of the gospel of peace. Our third defensive measure really is to put on some shoes. Something we all do every morning, right? Get up out of bed, put on some shoes. I remember one time I put on my semi-new pair of shoes and came to church and uh, they're a pretty good looking pair of shoes and I'm walking down the hallway and getting back here by the nursery and Tracy Marlowe was coming out. We're talking a little bit and she looked down and she said, hey, those are nice shoes. And I said, thank you. And she said, are those Sperry's? And I kind of kind of was confused a little bit, and I said, no, they're mine. (laughs) 
and, and she just looked at me. Apparently, Sperry's is a name brand of a shoe. And I thought she meant, did I borrow them from Jonathan? Yes. <laughs> so <clears throat> the shoes of peace. As you can tell, I don't know a lot about fashion. But I know that, <clears throat> I know that shoes are fundamental, right? They play an important part in our wardrobe. And again, notice with this armor that it's our responsibility to put it on. We must get up in the morning. We must put on our shoes. And what Paul is referring here as he is visualizing a Roman soldier is the shoes that they wore were more, <coughs> I can't really tell very well in this picture, but they're more half boots. They're not just like flip-flops. They, 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 kind of, they were very sturdy, and they came up to about here, tied on very tight, because the Roman soldier needed that firm foundation. He would have to march long ways to the battle, and once he got to that battle, he had to be prepared to fight. Shoes were essential. They didn't have the luxury of just being dropped into a scene from a helicopter or catching a ride on a jeep or a tank. So the gospel of peace is foundational, just like the shoes were to a soldier. And it's how we must be then prepared defensively to ward off the, uh, the attacks. Notice this verse. It says preparedness. This gives me the impression that this peace that we have to have needs to be before the attack comes. It's not right in the middle of an attack. It's before it. right? And, and we know. If we look at our society, if we look at our world, it's just, it's the opposite of peace. They try to get us anxious about everything. I mean, all the coverage of any news item or this pandemic that we just went through. It just so many people became so filled with anxiety about that. I think the stat I looked up was in 2018 was the global market for antidepressants was over $12 billion. You know, everything is a crisis. Everything you should get stressed out about. Kids, like I said earlier, they have the, the smartphones and they're looking up things that when I was their age, were, was the farthest thing from my mind, but they're exposed to so much at such a young age. Anxiety. Anxiety sells, I guess, in our world. But we need to be grounded in the opposite. We need to be grounded in peace to combat that. It's our eternal mindset versus this worldly situational mindset. And it begins with the gospel of peace through Jesus that he gives, that everything is secure, that he's sovereign, and he's got my salvation under control and everything else under control. That's good news. So we need to sandal our feet with that every morning when we get up. And moving on, through the pieces of armor with the soldier, we come to the shield of faith. In addition, Paul says, taking up the shield of faith which, which, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So we've girded our loins into our belt. We're ready. We have our breastplate on. We have our shoes on. And now we look up and we have these arrows coming at us. And Paul says, put up a shield of faith. Well, we're like 2,000 years removed from this imagery. The first century Christian would know what Paul's talking about. So let's just get on the same track as them. The Roman soldier here had two shields. One was very much smaller than that and rounder that he would use in hand-to-hand -hand combat. This shield was a lot bigger, the one Paul's referring to here. Um, I've heard statistics or read statistics that it could be as large as two and a half by four and a half feet, two and a half feet wide, four and a half feet long, that a soldier could really hide most of his body behind if he needed to. And these shields, when put together, they could make a nice shield wall for a line of soldiers. So it protected them against 
arrows and spears, the way they composed each individual shield was a multi-layer process of different materials that were actually strong enough to stop a spear or an arrow coming at them. Or if somebody dipped that arrow in tar and it became a flaming arrow like we just read here, that shield could actually extinguish the flame. So that's the visual that Paul wanted to portray, and that's what people in Paul's day would have visualized. Well, I hope that some of us this week have had to raise our shield this past week to defend off an arrow. Now, why? Why would I say that? Because you're going to get shot at when you decide to grow. And I know so it's, it's kind of weird to say, but in a way, again, I hope you got shot at because if not, then that means basically you're just no threat to the enemy and he's just going to kind of let you sleep through life and he doesn't want to wake you up with an attack, right? So, again, in a way we kind of, I hope you are getting shot at because that means that we are growing in the Lord. That means we're getting into the word more. That means maybe we're praying more. He recognizes that. Maybe, maybe we've decided to explore how we can tithe better. You know, maybe you've identified a friend and you're like, I want to I present the gospel to that friend of mine. They don't know Christ, and that concerns me. So you start building that relationship. Well, you know, when you do that, what's going to happen? When you do that, you're moving to the front line of a battle that Paul is picturing. You're moving front line to the battle, and you're going to get some arrows shot at you. So the bottom line is this. You don't want to be under attack, but if you're not under attack, maybe you should be a little bit concerned that if we're just content to be labeled a Christian, if we're just content to adhere to the minimums, then maybe we're not really a danger to the enemy. And instead, we might find ourselves in a different type of dangerous territory. So let's move to the front lines, right? Let's move to the front lines and let's have the shield of faith protecting us. And this shield of faith is this absolute confidence and faith in God, that he is going to totally take care of us. He will come through on the promises that he's made to us in scripture. He is who he claims he is. He will do what he claims he will do. The shield of faith is not faith in another person. It's not faith in my bank account, or it's not faith in the fact that I have good genes and I have good health. The shield of faith is faith in our Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. That is where we need to put our trust. And as we discussed earlier, he loves to attack the truth. Remember that? Did God really say that? Did God really say that? So, you know, you can, you can almost hear some, some of these situations in the world that we need to have that shield up. Did God really say that marriage is till death do you part? Did he really say that? Surely he knows your situation. I mean, come on, this is your situation. It's a lot worse than anything else. I mean, did God really say that you're supposed to stay married to the same person your whole life. When you're in the middle of a bad season like that, it's by faith in what he said that you say, no, no. God says to be faithful, I'm going to be faithful. I made this covenant before him, and I will keep that covenant. You know, those situational examples are just way too many to mention. We could be here all day mentioning these little attacks. But basically it comes down to this, I think, is that, the flaming arrows try to get us to focus more on the here and now material world than our eternal world that awaits us in heaven. 
It's when the devil tries to get us too close, tied into our citizenship on earth, and we lose focus that our citizenship is in heaven. Right? I think Paul writes a lot about this. And the Apostle John actually recognized this as well, that the flaming arrows try to focus us on this world. Let's look at this scripture from 1 John chapter 2. He says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, it is, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and all its lusts, but the one who does the will of God continues to live. That's right, the boastful pride of life. You know, you deserve it, right? Have it your way. And climb up on the mountain, Jesus, and claim your kingdom. Make your grand entrance, the lust of the eyes. Go ahead, Eve, take a bite, right? Looks good, doesn't it? You want to be like God, take a bite. The desires of the flesh. You know, that, that moment, brief moment of pleasure that leads to a lifetime or a whole lot of pain. He gives us a shield to protect us against these flaming arrows. So that faith must be in God, and it must be daily. Wake up with it. Put it on. Grab your shield, right? Walk, a daily walk with our Lord. That's how we are to defend ourselves when they come and attack us. So, vital piece of the armor that Paul moves to next is the helmet of salvation. Because we can protect a lot of things in our body, but we have to protect our head first and foremost also. So, uh... So he talks about a helmet, and, and I've always been amazed at, well, we'll read Scripture firstly, and take up the helmet of salvation and the, word, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet of salvation. In putting example to this piece, I, I thought back to when I was a kid and I watched old hockey games, matches, and I was always amazed that these players would play in the 60s and 70s and whatnot with no helmet on. Do you remember Gordie Howe? Rich probably does. Some other people would. Remember Gordy Howe? He was a great hockey player back in the day. Here's a picture of Gordy. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> Gordy, <clears throat> Gordy probably should have had a helmet on, don't you think? He, <clears throat> Gordy probably should have had some sort of protection there. Um, and we do too. We need that too. Because the helmet of salvation <clears throat> basically <clears throat> excuse me, protects our mind. And this Roman soldier would put on his armor, his belt, and his shield, and everything. And then somebody would hand him the helmet. And because he had all his armor on, he would take the helmet, put it on, right? And complete his, his, his armor. And that's just like the imagery Paul is showing us, that Paul, or that God gives us the helmet of salvation it's through Christ our Lord, and we need to put it on. And now, as we're living in Christ, it protects our mind. In Romans 12, 2, we read this. Uh, do not be conformed to this world, there that is again, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, the truth of God, when applied to our lives, it transforms the way we think. At least I hope it does. It should. And Because when we've, when we've gone through the armor today, really what it comes down to in involving the the helmet of salvation and protecting our mind is really choice. Every day it's about choice. It's about who am I going to serve? Who am I going to listen to? 
What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this situation? The very first line of battle, really, think about it, is where? It's right here. Yes, it's in your mind. And Paul tells us this helmet, the salvation, should be renewing the way we think. We want to protect our mind. Now, how do we do that? Here's the application point, I think, how we do that. How do we protect our mind and help transform it? Well, through the Holy Spirit, of course. But actually, Paul writes in Philippians 4.8, he writes this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, think on those things. That's powerful. I mean, put that on your remote control, and you won't really be able to find a lot of TV to watch, will you? I mean, that is a powerful, powerful scripture verse. But it's so hard. I know it is because we're just bombarded with everything. But we must protect our mind. Ultimately, Satan wants to penetrate our mind, and he wants us to get to question our eternal security. You know, he, so, so many believers, he's, he's tried to say, did God really say that? These seeds of doubt. With, how can God really forgive a sinner like you? I mean, does, really? If these people in this room knew everything you've done, pff, there's no way. You're in a whole different class of sinners. You, you think God can really save you? Hmm. He tries to impact and influence our mind. Doubts, pessimism. Depression, lies of the devil. We have to have this helmet on of salvation to guard against that. Ephesians is built all on the gospel, the beautiful gospel of God, the blood of Christ, the shed blood of Christ, the broken body of Christ, that no sin, no sin is too large that can't be forgiven. Ephesians is built on that foundation. We have to have this helmet of salvation on to protect us in our defense. Now, we jump to the only offensive weapon that Paul mentions in this piece. All these pieces have been how we defend ourselves, be prepared, be ready for the attack. Now we have an offensive piece, and it's this. The sword of the Spirit, <clears throat> which is the word of God. The sword <clears throat> described here is not the large broadsword that we see in movies that soldier wields and just goes these wild strokes and just does a whole lot of damage but it's more of a even maybe even smaller than that but that, maybe that's a good picture but it's 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 more like a dagger is what this word really is it's more of a small sword that is more precision and more precise right that's the sword that Paul has envisioned and in this context this little sword that is precise is the word of God and he mentions it's of the spirit so see how this is all kind of coming together. The truth that we started at earlier is now the sword is that truth. It's the word. And the Spirit's involvement, as it mentions here, it's of the Spirit, is that he helps us. The Spirit living inside you helps us recall these things when we're under attack. Recall the word, the truth. And that's how we help defend it. Jesus is our perfect example. In Matthew chapter 4, our perfect example. Because what did he do? When Satan tempted Jesus, what did Jesus do? He said, is, he said it is written. And he had his defense. He had his attack to push Satan back. It is written. So if Jesus responded like that, it is written, how should we respond? Same way. Same way when we have temptations. It is written. 
We need to be in the word and recall scripture. And the spirit will help us do that. Christ had the absolute full measure of the Holy Spirit inside of him, obviously. And it helped him. The spirit will help us also. He was hungry. And Satan tempted him by saying, if you're the son of God, cause these stones to become bread. Jesus, Deuteronomy 8.3, man shall not live by bread alone. The second temptation, Satan takes him to the temple and says, jump, your angels will catch you. He quotes from Psalms this time. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Third temptation, Satan pledges to give Jesus the kingdoms of the world. If Jesus would just bow down to him again, Jesus, Deuteronomy, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, it's our offense This is our offensive piece, the sword of the Spirit, the very Word of God. So how are you doing with that? You know, what about you and what about me is what it comes down to. You know, are we memorizing Scripture to be able to do this? That's hard for me. I'm bad at memorizing Scripture. I don't know about you. But I'm in the Word enough, I feel, and I hope you are too, that when I have this temptation, when I have this arrow coming at me, I know where to go. I can go look it up. I can Google it if I need to to find where it is. But through our learning and our everyday being plugged in, we can use the word of God to fend off these attacks and push Satan away. Right? So I encourage you to always be in the word of God. Paul gives us this great picture of the armor. Defense, now offense. And he concludes with this. It's really the seventh piece, but I don't really have time to go into it. He concludes by saying, pray. Really, the seventh piece is prayer. Pray for me that I might be able to fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the good news, right? The good news, the gospel. Not good news that masks are not required in restaurants anymore or in airplanes or trains. or Not good news that springs around the corner, but good news in relation to this warfare. Good news in relation to our life. That through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we're saved. In Romans 5, Paul says, we're all sinners. And he said, sin entered the world through one man, Adam. But salvation comes to the world through one man, Jesus Christ. Right? That's the good news. That's what Paul wants to share with people. And that's really why we gather every Sunday. Is because we know that we are sinners. But we know also that Christ has rescued us from that sin and has saved us and we're washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. So when the devil says to you, remember, remember that what you did many years ago? That was horrible. Remember that? You remember that last week we determined he was the father of lies. He's a liar. God says your, your sin is forgiven. It is gone. He has removed it as far as the east is from the west. So has he removed our transgressions from us. Right? 1 John says, if we will confess them, he is faithful and just, and he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is what we need to stand firm on. Whenever the devil lies to you, basically, go back and reread this book, Ephesians. Okay? Because you will see in chapter 1 that God says we're chosen that you're a dearly loved child of God, and looking at you as a sinner, God still chose to adopt you back into his family through Jesus Christ. And in chapter 2, you'll read that it's by grace you've been saved, not by anything you've done, not by your works, 
but by grace. But understand this too, that in that grace, God has prepared good works for you to do through Christ and through the power of Christ now living in you. Chapter 3, Paul says and wants us to understand how deep and how wide and how expansive the love of God is for you. In chapter 4, he challenges us to maintain unity in the body of Christ, the church. So we don't fight these spiritual battles alone, but we have our brothers and sisters to help us. And in chapter 5, he says, husbands, wives, children, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, live a life that reflects this salvation and your this gospel to the world. Behave like that. Share the gospel with the world. And now he concludes, take up the armor. Pray for me so that I can share the gospel and proclaim the gospel. It's a story of the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. It's a story of good news. And it's good news for you. And it's good news for the person sitting next to you. And it's good news for me. And it's good news for the whole world. It's the story of salvation through Jesus. Amen. That's why we worship him. That's why we serve him. So let's put on our armor this week. And uh, together this morning, let's stand and sing and give him praise for what he's done. And a beautiful song that Carol's going to play for us today and we're going to sing along with. Crown him with many crowns. So let's, uh, let's stand and sing that together. Verses 1, 2, and 4. <laughs>